Uh, we, our children uh, ages 3 to 8 will stay in the service this morning because we will be observing the Lord's table and actually remembering what the Lord did on the cross for us. It's a very applicable song. I've been very blessed by the music ministry this morning and looking forward to uh, stu- opening God's Word and studying the Gospel of Mark. If you'll turn to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 6, we are at verse 14 is where we stopped last time and really appreciate the good conservative, sacred Christian music we have in our church and appreciate everyone that's involved in that. The songs that were chosen were so appropriate with our message today. Um, Just been greatly blessed by the sovereignty of God and just ordaining all these things together. Um, I don't choose the hymns, so it has nothing to do with this was done apart from my sermon preparation. But uh, This last week I read a story of a lady in Montreal Uh, She was 73 years old, and she was admitted to the hospital. And she was connected to an oxygen tank because of her medical condition. But despite her poor physical health, she was sharp as a tack mentally. And she was known to all the nurses and staff as being a very independent and stubborn older lady. Uh, But she also had an addiction to cigarettes guess she'd been smoking all her life. And while she was in the hospital, her addiction to cigarettes really made a quite a conflict there in the hospital. And uh, she and the hospital staff were kind of getting into it as she wanted to light up in the, in the hospital. And the hospital staff is like, no, you can't do that. And they would actually bring the directives to her, and she read them right in front of her face. But one day, she ignored all their warnings, and then kaboom! A massive, a small explosion occurred in her room as she lit up that cigarette next to her oxygen tank. It started a small fire in her room. One of the staff members that was, that went in there to help her suffered, uh, hand burns. Several patients had to be moved to other rooms and the poor 73 year old lady was moved to ICU without her cigarettes and lighter. <laughs> but, uh, it's a silly how we can ignore Warnings that that we get in life, and especially the warnings that God brings into our life when sin is present, and how we're living. We're going to be studying the uh, just a short account, a short glimpse of the life of Herod, Antipas, and Herodias, a young woman he had an inappropriate relationship with. And what happens in this uh, paragraph here is that they ignore God's conviction of sin in their life. And as we come to this passage of Scripture, I want you to uh, allow God to search your heart this morning and consider, are there areas in my life that I've been ignoring the conviction of God and He has pointed out or exposed sin in my life and I've ignored His conviction and I've allowed my sin to continue? The dominion of sin in your life will lead to ruin. And I've titled this sermon, What a Tangled Web Sin Weaves. You've probably heard that quote from Sir Walter Scott. Um, But yeah, what a tangled web sin spins. We have an example here in Scripture of Herod Antipas and Herodias. And sin dominated their lives. Herod Antipas, or Antipater as history also calls him, was the son of Herod the Great. You know, Herod the Great was the one that tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. He met with the wise men and stuff. 
So Herod Antipas was one of his sons, one of his many sons, by at least ten wives. Okay, So he was uh, kind of followed the pattern of most pagan kings and had a harem of many wives and concubines and stuff. But Herod Antipas was the son of uh, Herod the Great. He received, after his father's death, he received power over Galilee and Perea. So Galilee is pretty much the area where Jesus has been ministering in the Gospel of Mark. Capernaum is there. Nazareth is there. Uh, Bethsaida. Actually, Bethsaida is not there. But then Perea is that area where, you know, Jesus went to Gadara and the man that was possessed with a demon. That would have been Perea, the southeastern part of the Sea of Galilee. Okay? And so those are the two areas that he received from Rome. He actually wasn't a king, even though this gospel does record him as a king, because that's what he liked to be called in Galilee and Perea is King Herod. But he actually wasn't a king. He was given this land by Rome. And he actually had a wife already. Uh, his first wife, the scriptures don't, don't mention her, does mention her father, but uh, it's the daughter of Ariatos. He is an Arabian king. And his kingdom was south of Perea on that east side of the Jordan River. And so Herod, in trying to have a political compromise, married his daughter. So he's been married for some time before this account takes place to the daughter of Aretas, this Arabian king. And what happens, uh, he knows of Herodias. Herodias is the granddaughter of Herod the Great. So Herodias is also the niece of Herod Antipas, okay? You can see, man, it's like this is like a family in West Virginia, okay? Uh, you're going to find out. Uh, the, the, okay, so Herodias marries her uncle. Okay, Herodias marries her uncle Philip. This Philip is not the Tetrarch that is uh, mentioned in the Bible. He actually is not mentioned in the Bible at all, except here as Philip. And uh, he was actually disinherited by Herod the Great before his death. Says, you're not going to inherit any of the land. And so he moved to Rome because the Herods were in lockstep with the emperor of Rome. And so anyway, he, they're living in Rome. So Herodias and Philip, uh, her uncle, are married to each other and they live in Rome. And Antipas travels to Rome one day and he falls in love with Herodias and he has an inappropriate relationship with his niece. And they decide to divorce their spouses. And before Antipas can go home, according to the historian Josephus, who was a Jew, but he wrote history for Rome, he records this account about John the Baptist dying. He records uh, Herod Antipas and Herodias. And he mentions that when Antipas came back, before he actually got back, word had gotten back to his wife of what he had done and what his plans were to divorce her. So she flees and she goes to daddy's kingdom. And so when Antipas comes back, a war is on his hand. The Arabians have have started attacking his fortress and his land in Perea. And so uh, he comes back to a war. And also, John the Baptist starts preaching against him. And we read about this account in the Bible. Josephus really doesn't mention this part at all. But John the Baptist starts preaching against his sin of adultery. And so what does uh, Antipas does? He locks him up and imprisons him. And according to Josephus, he imprisoned John at his fortress at the southern tip of Perea, the south, the southeast, northeast part of the Dead Sea. There was a fortress there called Macrius. And it was a fortress, a palace, and it also had a prison with it as well. And so he's fighting a war, 
And then he also imprisons John the Baptist. And Herod and Herodias are there at Macrius, and they are resisting the conviction of God in their lives. Their sin of adultery led to losing the war with Ariatas eventually. Their sin of ambition and wanting to be king and uh, trying to petition to be king of all Palestine with the next emperor, Emperor Caligula, he loses support of Rome. He's accused of treason by his nephew Agrippa I, as mentioned in the book of Acts. He accuses him of treason. Antipas and Herodias are exiled to Spain, and they later on take their lives. Sounds like a great story, right? You know what? The dominion of sin will lead to ruin in your life. Okay? And Herod, Antipas, and Herodias are a great example of that. And we need to yield to God's conviction in our lives with repentance of sin. When God starts working in your heart about sin in your life, you need to respond with repentance. You need to turn away from that sin and turn back to God. And the longer sin is present in your life and you allow it to have a control and a sway and dominate your thinking, your feelings, your choices in life, it's going to affect God's working in your life as well. We see in verses 14 through 16, and we'll begin reading this passage of Scripture, that sin's influence will confuse the truth about Jesus. Okay, let's start in verse 14. We'll read to verse 16. And King Herod heard of Jesus... For his name was spread abroad. Just to remind you, last time we studied, Jesus sent out his disciples. They were going throughout all Galilee, preaching repentance of sin. They were casting out devils, and people were being healed. But the gospel's being spread. And King Herod hears of Jesus. Now, he had heard of him before. I mean, it's not hard to realize he probably heard of him before. But this takes note because of what he writes here afterwards, what's written here afterwards. Herod the great uh, Herod Antipas says that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that Elijah, and others said that Jesus is a prophet, or as one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And I just want to stop here. First of all, sin will keep you from hearing of Jesus. In verses 14 and 15, we read of Herod's interpretation of who Jesus is. He's heard of Jesus. He's heard of this uh, Nazarene, that this man of Nazareth that's gone around preaching. But he takes note of him now because he has killed John the Baptist, as we're going to read a little bit later. And so he has this guilty conscience, and he's confused. And when sin is dominating your life, it will obscure your vision of the truth of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, referring to Satan, had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See, this, the devil will use sin and its dominance in your life to blind you to who Jesus really is, to hearing of him. First of all, sin obscures the identity of Jesus. We see that, first of all, Herod, he thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist resurrected from the dead. Why? We're going to read a little bit later, because he has a guilty conscience. He believes that Jesus is John the Baptist come back from the dead to haunt him, to judge him, to make his life uh, a life of torment. Uh, We hear the other opinions that are going about in the court of Herod. The other one is is that Jesus is the foretold uh, prophet Elijah that would come back. If you remember, Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind, 
And it was foretold in the book of Malachi that he would come back before the Messiah would come. And so Elijah, or this prophet like Elijah, was actually John the Baptist that was killed. But here they believe Jesus it can't be the Messiah. He just must be the prophet that comes before the Messiah. And so they lack faith in Jesus Christ. And then another opinion was that Jesus is just some prophet, or he's kind of prophet-like uh, as a person, as a teacher, and people respect him like a prophet. But And this uh, opinion lacked respect for Jesus Christ and the authority that he did these miracles, even raising people from the dead. So sin obscures the identity of Jesus, and people won't hear who he truly is. And I've seen this, even in my preaching, preaching to people that I know that are lost, and I talk to them afterward about the message, like, good message, pastor, a good message, preacher. And they say some kind of thing, and they totally miss the point. But sin, when it has a dominance in someone's life, can obscure them from the truth of who Jesus really is. And also, sin obscures the work of Jesus. Like John, Jesus preached a message of repentance, but it was a different message. Uh, also, John the Baptist, if, you were, if you've ever studied his life and in depth anyway, you know he didn't do any miracles like Jesus Christ did. And so in Herod's mind, he thought, well, if anyone's ever going to do miracles like this Jesus is doing, it has to be John the Baptist and he has to, be res- he has to have come back from the dead to have the power to raise people from the dead and to heal people of their diseases and so forth and so on. And so his mind is all twisted. And what is the root problem? The sin of adultery and the dominant in his life. It's dominant in his life. Uh, verse 16. Let's go ahead and read this verse. It says, But when Herod heard all these opinions of who Jesus is, he said, It is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. Okay, he's heard all these opinions and he says, No, it is my conviction that this is John the Baptist. And I admit that I beheaded him, and he has risen from the dead to judge me and to torment me. We see in these passages that sin will keep you from hope in Jesus Christ. See, Herod, his disposition was, I have sinned, I still am sinning, and there's no hope for me. You see this hopeless perspective from Herod. Uh, We see here Herod Antipas, we see his contrition over sin. He admits in verse 16, he said, John, whom I beheaded. We know that we'll read a little bit later the executioner did it, but Herod is taking personal responsibility for what he did. And then also Herod Antipas, he confesses his sin before his own court, and he accepts the torments of his sin as his fate in life, that he is never, he has no hope, and he's just going to have to live with the sins of his past. And if you have any, had any opportunities with witnessing to people and sharing Jesus with other, others, you'll see that people sometimes will not accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior because they want to live haunted by the sins of their past. They're haunted by the sins of their past, and they're doomed by their past sins, and they feel like they have no hope of ever being saved from their sin. One commentator said, see how people will believe anything but the truth. They'll believe that Jesus is some kind of ghost or some kind of ghoul from the dead. They'll believe that Jesus is just some prophet or he's just uh, the prophet Elijah or someone he doesn't claim to be. 
We see in uh, the Gospel of Luke that Herod Antipas meets Jesus later on before Jesus is crucified on the cross. And I just want to read kind of what sin will do in your life and how it will confuse you about who Jesus Christ is and it will lead you to spiritual ruin. Uh, In Luke chapter 23, verse 6, after Jesus was on trial, he was sent to Pilate. And after that, Pilate heard of Galilee while he was interrogating Jesus. And he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that Jesus belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod Antipas, who himself was also at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod Antipas saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see of him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him. And he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned Jesus in many words, but Jesus answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused Jesus, and Herod Antipas with his men of war set him at naught or humbled him, and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. And then later Jesus was crucified. I just want to point out here that Herod, he meets Jesus again before his crucifixion. But we see that he only views Jesus as some religious spectacle. He's so happy to see Jesus because he wants to see uh, this religious prophet just do a miracle and entertain him in some way. And Jesus, God's Son, doesn't speak to him at all. And we see that when you allow sin to dominate in your life, it comes to a point where God will not speak to you at all. There will be a stopping point. There is a final point where God will stop. And He stops uh, convicting Herod of his sin. Jesus had a prime opportunity to confront Jesus of who He was and of uh, what He claimed to be and of the sin in His life. But Because He was still with Herodias at this time. But Jesus chose not to speak to Him at all because he refused to humble himself and repent in times past. And so there is a finite point in time where God will start stop working. He will give people over to their own lusts. And we read about this in Romans chapter 1. And it's a sad and a scary reality. And we need to take heed to this warning. Antipas doesn't hesitate to condemn Jesus, even though he's innocent. And he humiliates and mocks Lord Jesus because his heart had become so hardened to the truth of God. And so I want to just remind you that Jesus, according to the Gospel of Mark, is the Son of God. He has the authority to forgive sins. And what John the Baptist was trying to do is to point Herod to Jesus Christ. Before John was imprisoned, he had met Jesus and he had claimed, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh the sin away the sins of the world. In John chapter 1. And you know, he wanted to share that message with Herod, but he wouldn't have anything to do with it. He loved his sin and the pleasures of his sin more than the truth of God. And so sin's influence will confuse the truth about Jesus. It will also confront the authority of Scripture. We read in verses 17 through 20 that uh, this is kind of a flashback to when when Herod imprisons John the Baptist. And it says in verse 17, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful 
for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel or a grudge against him, and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy man, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things, and heard him gladly. Sin, according to God's word, is the transgression of the law of God. It is not just a mistake. It is an act of rebellion. It is an act of disobedience. And we see here that sin, when it is dominant and is controlling our thinking, our emotions, our choices in life, it will resist the conviction from God's Word. We see this in verses 17 and 18. What does Herod do when he's convicted by God's Word? By the book of Leviticus that Jesus, uh, that John the Baptist is uh, referring to, and even the Ten Commandments here. I mean, that's even uh, would be implied as well. He locks John the Baptist up. He bounds him in chains in the prison at Macrius. And he's upset at John's preaching on his sin. And does that happen in churches? Does that happen in our Christian walk when we confront someone or we present the gospel to them and they can, they're convicted about the sin in their life? And really, we didn't point out their sin but like John the Baptist does, but we just present the gospel and the fact that we all are sinners and they get mad at us and they write us off and they close off close themselves off to us. Do preachers, are preachers treated that way even today? Yeah. Uh, sometimes we preachers can be accused of meddling because we preach not on something that we know of is in your life, but the Holy Spirit does, and you get offended, and you might say, stop meddling, preacher. Okay, <laughs> Heard that before. And I didn't even know I was meddling. Okay, And so we need to be uh, responsive to the conviction of God's Word. Then second of all, Sin will resist trust in God's Word. We read here in verses 19 and 20 that Herod actually would listen to John the Baptist. He had a respect for John the Baptist. He considered him a just man. That means that he was an upright man of integrity, of character before the people. They respected him. And so he feared actually killing John the Baptist like Herodias wanted to do because he thought, according to the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, that the people would revolt because they respected him so much. But also he respected John's faith. He knew he was a holy man, and he was devout to God, and he was preaching. And he also respected his preaching. Not just who he was, his reputation, not only his faith, but he respected his preaching. It says here that he heard John gladly. That means that he would listen to him and enjoy his preaching. And he did many things. And it kind of gives the impression that He tried to reform his life a little bit, but he still would not repent of that sin of adultery. And he would not trust in the authority of Scripture. He would not submit to the authority of Scripture and the conviction of Scripture, but he trusted in the pleasures of his sin instead. Then third, sin not only confuses the truth about Jesus, sin also... um, will contend or conflict with the authority of Scripture, but also sin corrupts your conscience from God. We see these three areas of truth. And then verse 21, it talks about the conscience here. Uh, Verse 21, And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, his high captains, and chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in, and danced, and pleased Herod and them that sat with him. The king said unto the damsel, his stepdaughter, his great-niece, 
Yeah, it's kind of, and he, and then she later on becomes his sister-in-law because she marries Philip the Tetrarch. It's just really weird family. Um, but anyway, she comes in and he is pleased with her. The guys there are pleased with her in the courtroom, and it says, and he says, "Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee." Verse 23, and he swear unto her, "Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom." And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that you give me immediately in a charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his own sake and for the sake which uh, of those that sat with him, and he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner, and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison, and brought his head in a char- on a charger, and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, the disciples of John the Baptist, they came and took his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Pretty sickening stuff, huh? And I, I even I, I didn't plan on sharing this message with the kids in here, <laughs> but it is a pretty graphic thing, and it kind of shows you what sin does. And a person's life, it it will corrupt their conscience to such an extent that it corrupts their value of people. In verses 21 through 23, we see that Herod, uh, we see that Herod or Herodias uh, puts her daughter out there uh, in a very sensual way. Uh, it's another word for it, but I just refrained to say it. But I mean, he is basically flaunting. She's basically flaunting her daughter to get what she wants. She wants revenge, and it doesn't matter how much she degrades her daughter to do it. Isn't that sad? But that's how much sin, when you tolerate in your life, it will degrade and corrupt your conscience and your value of people. Philip, uh, Herod Philip and Herodias had a daughter. According to Josephus, her name was Salome. She was about 20 years old at this time. She was an adult, and but she is used and manipulated in this way. And God made, according to Scripture, He made you and me in His own image. And when we, and when we, uh, and what sin does is it attacks that image of God. And as long as we allow sin to dominate in our life, we're going to be corrupting this image of God in these bodies that God has given us in a very ungodly and corruptive way. And we see here that Antipas and Herodias both degraded Salome with this dance. It was a sensual dance. Salome also degraded herself before these men because she was 20 years old or some an adult, you know, the age of an adult at that time. But she consciously made that choice for whatever reason. But sin will corrupt your value of people. Then also it will corrupt your value of the truth. In verse, verses 24 and 25, Antipas promises half of his kingdom or anything to this girl. Well, first of all, he, didn't, he wasn't a king. He didn't have a kingdom. He had a territory that was allocated to him, but he had no right to, uh, to give half of that land to her at all. And he exaggerates the truth, and that truth leads to further sin. Then he also corrupts, and then also sin corrupts your value of life in verses 26 and 29. Can you see this in our own society? Where sin has been allowed, it's been legalized, it's been allowed to dominate our lives and people now try to live without a guilty conscience but they still live with, a con- with guilt in their life even though it's been legislated and legalized. That when we allow sin to 
uh, have dominion and control in our life. It devalues our, our um, it corrupts our value of people. We think of people that uh, we, you know, the older older people that are being abused, and we have now senior elderly abuse. We have laws that are being legislated because people think it's okay to abuse the elderly, abuse kids. You know, we think of all these things and the the drug trafficking, the people trafficking. Won't get into all that, but it also corrupts sin, corrupts the value of truth. Where people have abandoned the word of God, politicians are okay with still, you know, with lying. They think it's all right to lie and 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 promise something they never intend to keep. That's okay. And then also in our society, the value of life, with babies being aborted, uh, elderly being encouraged to be euthanized by you know, doctors wanting to take that um, take that prerogative on themselves. This is the kind of corruption that sin does when it's uncontrolled and it's unaccountable. Antipas here could have humbly repented of his sin, said, you know what, I was a fool to lie. I shouldn't have promised you that. But his pride was what he worshipped. And he was exceedingly sorry. He has a conscience. But, uh, and he was exceedingly sorry for his rash vow. But he felt like he had no choice but to fulfill it. And that wasn't the truth. The reason why he fulfilled it is because he was afraid to lose the trust of the people that were in that room. He was afraid to lose the respect of the people in that room. It talked about the leaders of Galilee and the people in his military and the rich business people. His sin led him to lose both of those things and eventually his own life. Antipas feared man more than God and it corrupted his value of people, the truth, and of life. And sin will corrupt our conscience. Have you seen how nasty sin can make your life. It can f- confuse the Word of God. It, can, it will confront the authority of God's Word. And it will even corrupt your own conscience. Don't play around with sin when God exposes it in your life. You won't always see sin in your life, but when it becomes apparent in your life, confess it. Repent of that sin. Turn away from that sin and turn to God. Because the dominion of sin will lead to ruin. And we need to deal with sin God exposes in our life and turn away from that sin and turn to God's Son for forgiveness. As we come before the Lord's table today, this is uh, one of the occasions for observing the Lord's table is a time of examination. Where we examine our own relationship with the Lord how we're serving the Lord, how we're walking with Him. And I want to encourage you to do that today. You know, if you have been actively tolerating a sin in your life, and maybe it's public, maybe it's private, I don't know, it's never too late. As long as God's Spirit is convicting you of that sin in your life, it's never too late to get right with God. God is ready to forgive you. If you're a believer, you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, then the Bible says if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's found in 1 John 1, verse 9. But maybe you never dealt with the problem of sin in your life, the fact that you are a sinner and born a sinner, and you have the penalty of sin upon upon your conscience. Maybe you need to turn to Jesus for salvation. The Lord's table is a picture of that very thing. 
As we observe the Lord's table, the different elements, the broken bread, it's going to represent His body that was broken and suffered for your sins. The juice, the shed blood of Lord Jesus Christ, because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And I want to encourage you today that when Jesus died, He died for the sins of the whole world. According to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He didn't just die for your past sins. He died for the ones that you've done today and the ones you're going to do in the future. And has it been a time in your life that you realize you're a sinner and you've trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus for your sin? You've trusted in Him for salvation from your sins. The Bible says, Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I encourage you, if you haven't trusted in Jesus for salvation, that you would do it today. Uh, this time,